As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by JJ Bull, the Bullard. Hello, JJ. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm good. It was nice to watch England do well. They did well, didn't they? Other English people. Yeah, they did well, but it was also nervy. Uh, Yeah, I think England controlled that game very well. Uh, Some controversial moments, Mm -hmm. uh, one in particular. Well. But I think England probably were... Overall, the better team. I think so. Do you know, it's one of those games I think that's now it's finished. I feel like I need a whole day away from it and to watch it again before I can say anything that resembles what happened. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) You know, when you watch a game, you're so into it that the entire narrative is drawn by your own mind and isn't necessarily relevant to what has actually occurred. Yeah, especially when you support one of the teams. Yes, I know this feeling well. Yeah. Well, if you want to get out of your own head and you want uh, the world to drive your narrative for you uh, so you can be more objective, then you should visit The Athletic. If you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you'll find that for the next few days only, you can get a deal that uh, sees you pay £1 per month for six months to uh, have full access to The Athletic and all kinds of objectivity, JJ. Yes, lots of excellent articles as well. There's one I read today that I really liked. I can't remember what it was, but it was very good. So good. Yeah. So good. There's lots of... Words and pictures occasionally on it. What was it? It was really good. Well, oh, do you know no. what I like so much about The Athletic? Was what that there it? were two different uh, previews for the England-Denmark game, like tactical previews. One which I very much enjoyed, which was uh, Michael Cox's, where he talked about why they might play a back three, which they did after they went ahead. And there was also the video version, which was a TIFO video, which incidentally, you can, if you have The Athletic, you can watch TIFO videos without any adverts. And you can also listen to the TIFO podcast, totally ad-free too, on the app. That's my favourite thing, because it involves me. There we go. So that's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. But we are going to speak today, of course, 
about the uh, the penalty. We're going to talk about Kasper Schmeichel. We're going to talk about Saka a little bit, although it feels like a million years since he was subbed off, but he had a big impact on the game initially. We talk about Rice and Phillips, Harry Maguire, Jordan Pickford, um, and of course we will we'll touch on Denmark too and have a look forward to uh, England-Italy in the final of Euro 2020, which feels quite extraordinary. Um, but uh, for the time being, I will uh, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of JJ Bull. Let's begin now uh, by talking, I think it's only fair, JJ, uh, to to talk about the penalty decision, which uh, was converted uh, at the second chance by Harry Kane, with Kasper Schmeichel, who had a fantastic game overall, saving the first. But uh, the penalty, it was divisive in the room at the time, wasn't it? And now I have to say, I've calmed down, so we can talk about it properly, but tell me what you think. It's not a penalty. Okay. Tell me why. Uh, there's just no way that the contact on Sterling is enough to put him down. He is 100% anticipating that someone will make a challenge. Yeah. The challenge, the, the leg goes in to make the tackle. The leg did go in. Um, and it's slightly late, but he doesn't... He does touch his leg. It doesn't matter. Like you, He's amongst other people. Otherwise, you could just go in and be like, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it, and go into someone and fall over. Sure. And you can see that's a foul every single time. The thing is, Sterling, because he runs so quickly and he's so... Um, it's one of the things that makes him so like his. He's obviously very st- strong at the core, mm-hmm. like a metal apple, <laughs> and uh, he like he turns very. You know, he turns on like a three sixty pirouette instantly. Like he's analog, not D pad. Mm-hmm. Very like you just move him around really quickly. Yeah. Then bursts away to accelerate, and uh, when he runs at you, it's very hard to anticipate exactly where he's going to go and read his movements because he drops his shoulder very quickly and moves. It's just very difficult to defend against. But he runs straight at people kind of thinking this is what might happen. A little change of, of uh, direction, shifts the balance to another feet. And the guy puts his foot in slightly, but slightly behind the the ball. Doesn't then fully come in and take him out or anything like that. His, his foot's just upright. But like his shin touches his shin. And then Sterling there's, feels- There's in. some shin touching. Yeah, but it's, sure. just, it's just the most minimal of contact. And he just feels yeah. it and goes down. And it's something that like- Maybe you should say well played to England for uh, adopting these kind of dark arts that teams who win things tend to have adopted. So Harry Kane was at this all night buying free kicks that were never free kicks. Denmark were getting wound up by it. It's gamesmanship. It's really clever. The referees fall for it all the time. They buy into it. Kane does it in the Premier League even all the time. Um, but he was doing it tonight. Soon, like he has, he shields the ball well. But Kane is a big lad. If someone did that to him in a bar, he wouldn't fall over. Yeah. On the pitch, he positions himself in such a way that should the contact come, no matter how light or whatever, Which he falls smart. over. Well, maybe, and you think the defender is being silly for not being up there, but the defender has to get tight to him. There's another way of looking at this, though. And, you know, take, take the other perspective, which is to say, I, I, I'm sure uh, these numbers have increased because I, Seb Sapperball texted them to me about 80 minutes into the game where he said, uh, he described a... a um, Denmark as at times a kind of team of Fernandinho's uh, who'd made 17 fouls across the course of the game yeah. and had only had one yellow card. I mean, it was very clear that part of their game plan was to make those tactical fouls all across the pitch and to try and break up England's play. Why shouldn't England lean into that? I mean, isn't that kind of a dark art on the other side too? Um, yeah, maybe. But then I don't think I don't think England were doing that to take advantage of them committing fouls. It's just that sure. when Kane needed to win a foul because he was in a little alley on the wing with nowhere to go, well, what's the best option here? Does, does one evil cancel out the other, though, I suppose, is what I'm saying? Uh, it just makes it more evil. 
I think. Overall. Yeah, just the game became malevolent. Yeah. And, uh, and you're a man who enjoys purity. Uh, correct. Uh, and the dark arts. It, I mean, I've watched that Sterling thing quite a few times now since it happened, because the video's on the internet. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it, this is not a penalty. It's not a penalty. But... Like touches I said to you before. Touches his shin though and he goes over. It so. doesn't matter, Joe. And the, the thing is, but this then, is the kind of penalty that always seems to happen to England. But something has changed. It was the Higgs boson, whatever it did that changed <laughs> it. The world, we're in a different sure. reality now. And now England the Hadron Collider has finally had its effect. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, that was the whole point of it, yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, there's the firing atoms inside the Hadron Collider and then the, the atoms fall over and win a penalty. That's sure. what it was. I mean... Yeah, this kind of thing that's happened to England for years and years and years, and they never they're never wise to it, and they're always like, "We are England. We will play the right way, the right way, and, and uh, so you know, play to the rules and yeah. the gentlemanly way." And now, like we've said throughout the podcast this month, it's a bit weaselly, and I think it's smart. <laughs> sure, it's it is smart. I don't like it. Cunning. I like it when my team does it. Is that if Sterling does that? If it's absolutely round. You've been furious. Well, this is when you kind of won me over because I was uh, convinced it was a penalty. There was one camera angle which uh, made the the shin touching look quite a lot firmer than the other camera yeah. angles. And I, I enjoyed that camera angle the most. I enjoyed uh, <laughs> the commentary team saying it was a penalty. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed everyone uh, in my mind saying, shouting at me, that's a penalty, don't listen to the JJ. But when you said... If that was the other way around, you'd be furious. I, I did have a moment of thinking, oh, yeah, if that was Casper Dolberg had gone down with no yeah. touch, really, and it was a penalty, I would cry, uh, woe is me, woe is me. And you, and you know what, Isabel, you can often tell when it's a, a foul by the reaction of the players. I know that's, like a, that's a thing a lot of pundits say on TV, but you, can really, you really can tell a lot of the time. And the Denmark players seemed sort of surprised and also, for, like, again, they've gone down. And then they weren't really... Uh, desperate for the referee to, to turn it over. They surrendered him, but they weren't going nuts because they uh, seemed to... It's almost like they they realised it probably shouldn't have been a foul and VAR will have their back. And yeah. It'll see it. That it's just not a foul. But I don't well, think if, it's If it's definitely dive, not like, a foul, though, like yeah. how do you explain the VAR decision? Because like, my, my understanding of that would be that it, that's not a clear and obvious error. There is contact and he's gone down in the box. And if, if the referee had seen it for the first time, you wouldn't be surprised if he didn't give it as a penalty. But given that VAR looks at it sees the contact, says it's not, uh, doesn't doesn't make a comment about whether it's a penalty or not, mm -hmm. but kind of does in the sense of saying that there was no clear and obvious error. Well, I guess largely this, you could say that this is a, a is it objective, is that what I mean? When it's your own decision, what do I mean? Subjective. Subjective, yeah. it's a subjective decision where it varies from person to person. Like you first thought it was a penalty. As soon as Sterling went down, I didn't think it was because I'd seen Sterling do something similar about 10 minutes before. He goes in the box, falls down, and then looks up at the referee. It's never a penalty. He's just ran into someone. Mm. Um, the one gets wiped out, which might have been a free kick, but that doesn't matter. And I think... Um, that's the thing with VAR, is that stuff like that is the kind of thing you would think they would... I think you would spot that, but then I'm not a referee, and I don't know the rules inside. I don't read them at night. So I mean, presumably, you, you, I mean, you're, you are convinced it's not a penalty. So I don't VAR think should overturn it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying based on the rules. I, I don't mean like explain to me the rules of VAR and what yeah. the policy is and how it should work. But in your mind, it, it's very unfair then that VAR looks at that and doesn't overturn it. I think it's harsh in Denmark. I think, I think it's just a harsh penalty. Uh, VAR, should they overturn it? I mean, I think if it was, if it hadn't been given in the first place, there was no way ever 
VAR would turn that into a penalty. Because it's one of those 50-50 ones, right? Because there, again, would be no clear and obvious error. Oh, I think it's more than that, though. But... Uh, so it's weird. And one, I'm sort of contradicting myself. And one, one way, I sort of think it's good that VAR doesn't change that. Maybe it's because I'm getting frustrated with VAR going through these tiny details. But when you slow things down on replays, sometimes they make it look slightly different. Uh, this file is one where you see it at full speed and you can tell it's not a foul. And you watch it as slow and you can tell it's not a foul. But the referee has seen it. He's right next to it. And you should think in real life, he's seen that. So you must, maybe it's just something different you see in real life. Yeah. So they give it to him. I don't know. It's, I mean, we should we should have we should have built a referee, <laughs> and that would have been you able know, to help us with this one. A robot referee. Yeah, yeah. I'm on board with that. I don't mind that at all. Okay. Well, I mean, I suppose that leads us on to talk about Casper Schmeichel, who had a fantastic game. And I think if you had to pick a man of the match from you know the Danish team, or if indeed it had, uh, finished a draw, or if Denmark had won, probably would have been hands down Casper Schmeichel, right? I mean, at one point, uh, Seb described him to me as made of iron and that that shot from Sterling in the middle, uh, you know, when it sort of goes into his body and he does the his dad's spider thing, mm-hmm. uh, that would have hit either myself or Seb and taken us back into the net <laughs> with the ball. <laughs> yeah, it just sort of bounces off Kasper Schmeichel as if he is, uh, you know, straight off the elemental table. I think Schmeichel's been one of the best keepers in the Premier League for years and years. Yeah. It, it might be underrated because he plays for Leicester. It might be that... He's inevitably under the shadow of his very famous dad. Um, but, I mean, he won the Premier League with Leicester. He's, yeah. he's an international goalkeeper. Uh, a lovely boy, by all accounts. Yeah. And a great leader of stuff he's been through the last little while. Like, fair play, dealing with all that. Um, yeah. As a goalkeeper, again, I'm not a goalkeeper expert, but he's definitely so. excellent. The saves he made were important, but I think he's got a command of the the box when he goes up for, for corners or whatever. And he's a because he's strong, he's able to not batter people out of the way, but yeah. people don't mess with him. He's also, just like, he just looks the part, doesn't yeah. he? And I know that's not by far from everything you need to be a good goalkeeper, <laughs> but he just looks totally confident all the time, like total self-belief. I think defenders would feel that as well. Yeah. You think it would settle them a little bit uh, in any situation. I mean, contrast you on your toes as well. Well, yeah. contrasted to Pickford, who looked like he drank with eight cups of coffee and yeah. hadn't eaten for three days. Yeah, like like one of those cartoons where it's there's only like four frames per second or something, so jittering about. It's like Mr. Time and Watch, you know that? Um, <laughs> do you ever play Smash Brothers? And Mr. Time and Watch is one of the characters. Remember. It's early Nintendo. It's one of these things you get in like a little box, like a rectangle box thing. They give them away in cereal packets, I think. Later, yeah. on. they had the technology for that. Yeah, it's, it's just it just kind of moves around like four frames a second. Basically, there's only like three animation parts to it. That's how picture wise it was all over the place, and you can see the England players. I mean, Walker's at one point screaming at him for kicking the ball long and not just catching it. Yeah. Whereas at the end, Schmeichel, Cam, leading from the back, doing what a captain does, um, looking like the player that's going to keep them in the game rather than one that might yeah. lose them the game. I thought Hjoyberg was good as well. He would be the other a candidate yeah. for your man of the match. I would have said. I mean, Darmsgard. Uh, obviously played well and scored that free kick, which was superb. Yeah. Really well struck. Um, and they put a wall, Denmark put a wall in front of the England wall, didn't they? So Pickford had to really act very, very, very last second. Yeah. So I think it's, it'd be harsh to pick on Pickford for that. I think I have to say on the Pickford issue too, I mean, he did look wobbly this evening, but he didn't concede from open play. Mm-hmm. That's my new thing I'm going to say now. Because, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, you can't account for that kind of free kick, can you? Um, 
He's had a good tournament generally. Like he, 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 I think the reason that he looked so off it tonight is because of how he has looked very calm in most of the games. Like he hasn't really put too many feet wrong. In every game, you feel like there's one or two misplaced passes that make everybody sort of, you know, catch their breath a little bit. But generally speaking, he has had a good tournament and I wouldn't want this to sully the memory of... of, of uh, England certainly haven't had a, a bad keeper at the Euros. I think they've had a very average goalkeeper. I don't. So he's it, a seven out of ten player, right? Uh, yeah, he's very, he's very Everton. Like he's sure. very mid-table Premier League. Could he would never be able to play for one of the top six? I don't think. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be harsh on it. It's not. It's not like he's a good goalkeeper. But I think we saw in the last game. Who was the England beating the round before? Was it Switzerland to beat before? No. Who was they beat? No. That. Um, My word. Who? Ukraine. Ukraine, thanks, so. Oh, I forgot about that. It's been a long old month. Oh, God, I'm tired. <laughs> uh, yeah, in that game, there was a couple of times when he's kicking the ball, just just mashing it out into the yeah. stand. I I don't... What does that say about the footwork of England's other keeping options, though? Because like he's chosen because of his ability to play it with his feet. Right? I think it's a shot-stopping, and also because he can launch it. His long his long passing is amazing. Yeah. It's one of the things he's got, that sidewinder, he calls it, uh, uh, out from hands, he can kick it. But he can just put his foot right through the ball and hit it 70 yards, and he's pretty accurate with it. He's not Ederson or Allison levels at it, but that's a really good tool if you're playing against a team who pushes a high line, which Italy will do in the final, by the way. So... Pickford suddenly becomes a very useful player. But I wonder whether, um, I have no idea, but it seemed to me a little bit like the pressure of the situation might have got to him. Like there's a few players who seem super amped today. Uh, can't blame them. Semi-final, massive tournament, hugely nervous, the weight of a nation on their shoulders. Mm. Full, almost a full crowd, it basically felt like, you know, urging them on and you're fired up and you know you get a big chance. So that's going to make you nervous from the start. But Schmeichel didn't betray those emotions at all sure Pickford did and in terms of having a good tournament um, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm being negative on Pickford but England have had a good tournament England are set up not to concede any shots what was it I worked out earlier I think in five games Pickford had nine shots to save yeah so he had 100% save percentage so you're like wow what a goalie but yeah. I don't remember any of them being particularly hard to save I really we did, don't we did this video on Burnley about two years ago and how uh, they they had like their goalkeeper had an incredible uh, save ra- save ratio, um, save to shot ratio, uh, because of the way that Burnley's centre backs just on the edge of the eighteen yard box would kind of funnel whatever shot from range was going to come in, so it would go straight at the goalkeeper, and instead of trying to block the shot, they would just guide the shot to where they knew it was going to be caught yeah. or punched away, uh, and it resulted in those kind of like massively warped uh, statistics for for saves. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean. I think uh, I think I forgot what I was going to say. Was Don't worry my, about it. Point. We've done keepers now. Yeah, <sighs> it's making me nervous talking about Sean Fick. It's making me nervous. Well, this is the thing. Actually, I know what I was going to say. And one of the things I've like getting about, into my head, JJ. Sorry. that's what's happening. One of the things I liked about England this tournament is how they have managed to to control pressure situations. Yeah, take the sting out of games. Like the way they were controlling the match at the end there was like Italy in like peak Italy or it was Spain. wonderful have you ever seen England do that no passing the ball around with the joy with the crowd cheering every time it, it reaches a it reaches a new player I mean also that uh, the the best moment of that string of passes was Luke Shaw's uh, little behind the back yeah. ankle knock on to uh, to the player in front of him it was amazing wasn't it? it was a little round the corner one from Phillips which I thought was even 
it, would, it looked very basic, but it was a yeah. risky ball. But because yeah. he knows he can make it, it's the thing that like, if you take risks, you're at risk of being turned over. Sure. But if you just are fully confident in your ability and fire the pass exactly where it's meant to go, like you would all the time, like you know, if you're just throwing a ball off a wall, you do it a hundred times, you know exactly where to throw it each time. As soon as you start thinking about it, you're going to miss. There is also a moment in the second half, which might be my favourite moment in the whole game, where the ball falls out of the sky from a hundred metres. I feel like it's gone higher than the the height of the stadium. And it drops down onto uh, Calvin Phillips, who just touches it with his ankle, almost like outside of the boot, round the back. And it ends up being like an incredible progressive pass, you know, playing yeah. pass for Denmark, Denmark players. First time. Did he mean it? I've, I still don't know. I don't know. Look, it looked a bit like it just bounced off him, but then the accuracy with which it found his England teammate, I mean, maybe he did. Well, that's it. Cause I, th- I thought he was putting his right foot out to catch it like on laces, like just to put it down. But I think his foot is lower than it would be to control it. Yeah. I mean, he's a better, I mean, I would. It was, per- it was perfectly I'd, weighted, right? Yeah. It would be a remarkable coincidence if you didn't mean it. It's not like one of those, was it a shot or was it a cross things? It's one of those we just like, yeah, I meant that. So, con- And then you convince yourself deep down that you meant it. Sure. But I do that in Rocket League didn't. all the time. Yeah. Anyway, let's, t- let's sort of take it back for, for a moment because okay. we've spent, uh, you know, half of this t- uh, ragging on England's goalkeeper when actually they were, were very, they were very good, right? Yeah. And what the one thing I want to ask you about first, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, it's come up a lot as a theme throughout the tournament. Denmark, are, of course, playing uh, with a back three, with a 3-4-3. And we've seen England already match Germany up with the same formation, uh, not do that against Ukraine, slightly different thing. My expectation here was that they would match up um, Denmark. You didn't think they would beforehand, and you made a video for Tifa IRL about that. But was that quite a progressive, like, brave move from England to stay with a four and to, you know, push Denmark's wing-backs back? Because there weren't, it wasn't, I mean, like, there were moments in the game where Denmark felt like they had the impetus and were, you know, had a lot of passes about them. But there weren't a huge number of moments in the game where they really threatened or it looked like uh, out wide, particularly, there was a there was a free man. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure which of those comes under, but... If you think about it, they sort of did defend with a five most of the time anyway, because Rice was always so deep. Yeah. In the first half anyway, Rice was playing as a, as a, we'll call it, a defensive midfielder right in front of the two centre-backs. Um, in the second half, they changed it, actually, and I thought it was a really smart change by Southgate. Phillips came and became the, the six, basically filling in in front of the back four. But um, uh, Rice then filled in at left-back, so Shaw went further up the pitch. Just something that helped Shaw get further up and helped England get in the game more. It did mm. a nice little change. But basically, you've got a diamond with Walker, Stones, and Maguire and, and Rice. So you do have four covered. Um, I think because England have, I think England are the better team and they're at home. It's a huge advantage. And this is the system that South, like, they've been working on. And that's the system that England play. You don't want to mess around with it too much. You can play that, that back three and it works. It worked against Germany very well. But that's the system and they get all their best players in the team they want. And like I said in the, the preview thing, one of the reasons I thought they were going to play this four with the three midfield is that Christensen for Denmark often moves into midfield and they change their system midway through a game. So they go from a, a three four three or like five, whatever it is, um, into a back four with a three and a three. So to avoid losing numerical superiority or you know having that disadvantage, they want to be able to switch themselves. And that's sort of what they're doing in game by just moving players around. Sometimes the formations don't really matter it's just yeah. having players in certain places to have them I think had Southgate gone at 3-4-3 three, three, the game maybe would have quietened right down like they didn't they didn't match Scotland for one thing 
Denmark are a much better team than Scotland. This game felt like not dissimilar to the Scotland game too. Like it felt like a lot more chaotic. A lot more uh, physical, I think yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. And and I think that's what Denmark were going for, right? Because uh, we said, I've spoken about this before, but England's whole strategy of this tournament is to avoid any randomness, any chaos, control everything they can and wait for the mistake that they can exploit. Um, and then be clever about it. Like win free kicks when you can, win penalties by falling over if you get the slightest nudge in your shin. There's ways to do it and get through the game and they're doing it very well. Um, they're about to play the masters of it <laughs> in Italy in the final. So that could be entertaining. Um, yeah. Give us my train of thought. I'm really tired, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> me too, man. That game, that game what was I saying? Like, completely took it out what of me. What was I saying though? Well, I think, I think the general point you were making was that England were fantastic and they played with they that four and they were, they were the best team you've ever seen. And uh, you thought that they were brave. They were brave to play with the four and uh, they played the game on their terms, JJ. Lots of, uh, lots of rotations with the front players as well. Kane keeps dropping deep like he's messy. Yeah. Into this, into midfield. Kind of is messy though. He's not. I thought Saka did well. Um, I'm going to ask you about Saka in a, in a minute because yeah, he, so he was great. I'll, I'll stay off him then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought Shaw overlapping did really well. When Shaw started pushing forward, you saw how, I mean, you see how good he is. He was intercepting so high up the pitch. It's just been crucial to how England play. Uh, like what a player he has become. He's exactly what United paid, what was it, 30 million or something yeah. back in the day for and it's turned into. And He's how, amazing, isn't he? I mean, I don't want to get into that Josie Mourinho thing about him slacking him off for however many years, but how could he not have seen what was in it? Where, where was he? It must have been something that, that wasn't there for so many coaches not to be able to get out, that out of him. Yeah. And now maybe something's clicked in his... Well, he had that, he had that uh, terrible injury, I suppose. And that's, oh, that'll do it. Yeah. It was something that would, won't have helped uh, coaches prior to Mourinho trying to get something out of him. I don't know if, if the... I'm sure Mourinho would love to think that his involvement kind of you know, twigged something for sure. But I think it's more the Solskjaer effect. I mean, I think Solskjaer came in and, and trusted him and played him through some 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 poor periods. Uh, and also <clears throat> the style of football that Man United play under Solskjaer that kind of encourages Shaw to get forwards and join the attacks and do what he's good at. Um, and playing alongside Harry Maguire. I mean, like, just does give you that extra security. You don't have to worry so yeah. much. You don't... You're, you're made to look stupid much less often because your mistakes don't matter as much as they would if you were next to a player not as good as Harry Maguire. And that's the thing that like if it's because for someone who's accused of not having a football brain, he looked very much like someone with a very large football brain. Luke Shaw playing tonight, yeah, he's got it all now. I mean, like the yeah. thing that impresses me about him so much is the psychological his psychological aspect within games. I mean, he knows exactly when to cut inside to make those challenges. The three times he's done that now yeah. towards the end of games where. In, in this game against Denmark, they didn't need the didn't need the additional goal, um, but I mean it's like it's it's tactically speaking, it's extremely smart, but also mentality wise, like it's one of the reasons that I enjoy watching him for Man United is because he's exactly that kind of uh, bastard that plays for the team that uh, will complain about everything that will get, you know will complain about something which is very obviously either given as a foul when it should have been or not given when it shouldn't have been, and uh, is. Um, is totally willing to make himself be entirely, you know, biased and subjective. And every every team has a player or two like that. And he is that for Manchester United. And you can see him a little bit like that for England too, which probably helps, like, the cohesive nature of the group as well. Yeah, I mean, even, like, Shaw, for me, is probably the best left-back in the tournament, I think, he's, he's sure. been there. Uh, Does Spinazzola not count? Uh, I, I think Sp it's weird. So obviously, Spinazzola has been one of the standout stars because he's... 
of what he's brought to Italy and how important he is to the way they play. His special role. Yeah, but I mean, I think if they had Shaw in that team, he'd be amazing. Yeah. In the same way. I, I, it's hard to kind of explain what I mean with Spinazzola. I, I, I think Spinazzola is a decent player, but I don't think he's this amazing 50 million pound, you must buy him type guy. Right. Yeah. He is perfect for that system, mostly because he can run for a hundred days. Like, it's like Forrest Gump, but really quick. <laughs> Just like endless energy. Uh, and... Like when, you, when you think Spinazzola would get to the, the final third by the box, defenders started to work out, you just show him inside because he can't cross on his left. So he's only really got one way out. And then he came up with a couple of assists, I think. But yeah, I think Shaw, especially his set-piece delivery, we talked about this in another other podcast the other day about how much how many chances Shaw creates. Look at Shaw next to Maguire, who has been excellent in this tournament. Mm. So good. Stones as well. Um, I think Phillips was great tonight. He grew into the game, Phillips. He wasn't great for the first 15 minutes, I thought. And then he just got better and better he and better. He just further up the on. pitch because everything's going through Rice. And that's why yeah. I thought it made so much sense putting Phillips in there because he's much better at getting the ball forward than Rice is. Rice is good at making the safe pass. Um, there's so many times I see with Rice where he receives the ball with his back to goal like in midfield. And um, I mean, I've you know, never played football at an elite level, but... I would say you should have you should be side on. You should be able to see more, more of the pitch when you're receiving. Mm. So he scans a lot, which is good, but I just don't see why you have your back to go. You're not trying to block anything. It's the kind of thing a defender would do rather than a midfielder, mm. or like a striker. It doesn't make sense to me. If further up the pitch, maybe you should do it. But there's that, and then when he receives the ball, naturally it always goes back. There's a couple of times today he made some nice forward passes, but they were obvious forward passes because he had his he was facing forward when he got it. <laughs> <laughs> like so he gets the ball and he can instantly see he's facing forward whereas Phillips I think you often see him he's always on the half turn and he gets it and then I would say his range of passing is a bit better as well Yeah, so it suited that role a lot better I thought uh, just yeah to reiterate I thought Rice had a really decent game though and was really useful later on tactically for filling that kind of third centre back role that and, and the right wing role towards the very end yeah. of the game as well <laughs> that, I think he stayed up there for 10 minutes yeah well right when we come back from this break I'm going to ask you about Bukayo Saka okay Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And we're back. And now I'm going to ask JJ Bull about Bakaya Saka because he was subbed off around 70 minutes for Jack Grealish, Sterling went over to the right. But prior to that, I mean, he created the goal. It looked a bit like initially that Sterling had scored, but it transpired it was an own goal. And it was maybe the third or fourth time that Saka had uh, used his, that really effective direct running to get in behind. This was a fantastic little through ball too. managed to stay on side perfectly. Um, it feels almost a shame when he comes off. I mean, it's like when you talk about the substitutions, you think, you, you think well, for you can't take Harry Kane off. And you can't take Raheem Sterling off. And for all of his work, uh, I guess, primarily off the ball, you can't take Mason Mount off, at least without the system changing. You don't really want to take Saka off because he 
often looks like the brightest spark on the pitch, but you sort of have to, don't you? If you want to make a change. Oh, yeah. Exactly, because you can't take the other lads off. They're, especially Mount, I think, is so important off the ball. Yeah. Um, the stuff he does out of possession is uh, like absolutely fundamental to how England want to win the ball high up the pitch. Uh, so the only change really Southgate can make was to take Saka off. Yeah. And it's almost like it's just kind of the easy choice to make because he's not one of the, you know, that's one of the interchangeable positions. Could yeah. be that he's, you know, he's worked hard for 70 minutes, now you want something new on, maybe you want Grealish because uh, in theory he's going to give you better control of the ball. Rather than trying to yeah. take people on and lose it, he's going to win you a free kick. Do you know what though? It didn't feel like an upgrade. Bringing no. Jack Grealish, I mean, like for a good twenty minutes, there were moments in in the extra time where I was glad that he was on the pitch and that he was keeping the ball a bit better, as you would say, as you said. But um, it took a long time for me to think like I'm glad to see him. Yeah, it's because uh, he comes on the pitch like Jesus has arrived, <laughs> and like lights come on, and then everyone's thinking, "Oh, we won the game." That's not what I meant. Flames yeah. come up, his name that flies by in like a blimp sure. or something. Yeah, Jack Grealish is decent. He's not this. I don't know why everyone's <laughs> obsessed with Grealish. He's, really, he's amazing. Because uh, he, take, he takes players on. Foden's he's amazing. Got fantastic hair and those legs are. Look at those legs, man. You know, I you, thought you break of, a breeze block on those on those legs. Yeah, you could definitely crush a man. He, he he puts fear into into the eyes of defenders. You know, he uh he he's a smart footballer and he brings something very different to what the other players on the pitch already have. Right. It's a really small sample size, but he's I, not. What did you call him? Decent. That is very hard. No, I, I know. I mean, okay, I mean, but like, do do be more accurate. I just, like, I just think Foden is this kind of this next level player that sure. makes things happen. And I think the substitution that Southgate then made later on, where he took Glish off, made total sense to me because Foden had done so much. Like Foden's choice to pass, it's really hard to kind of spot. But I'm trying to watch it recently because I'm trying to. I want to know what Guardiola has been teaching him. Like, what's mm. he been waiting? What's this tempo thing he's always on about? What's he need to pause for? And the passes that Foden's making when they're trying to slow down the game, like sometimes it's a little very short fired pass back at someone who's just passed to him. It's, like, it's immediately back, bounce pass. It's called a bounce pass, I think, or wall pass. Mm. straight back to him. And then he'll look up and on the screen you see a player about 10 yards to his left. He's like, well, that's an obvious pass. That's where he'll go. But instead he pings it to the further player along exactly the same pace he would to the guy who's 10 yards next to him. And that just shifts the game on a little bit and it just moves everything a little bit more. Yeah. Whereas I think Grealish will play the short pass and go for the one-two. He'll take someone on. He'll run into a little alley. He likes to be on the ball. Foul. Yeah, more than and he's Foden got needs good control to be on the ball. of the ball. And I think Foden. I think Foden just works in the sense quite potential, and it just works in a different like plane to everyone around him. I, I think he's amazing. Yeah. And uh, would you would you like to see him and Pedri in the same team? Yes, <laughs> I would love him and Pedri. That's the thing that him and Pedri are in that same sort of. I can't believe how good they are at the age they are. Right. They're so, and, and there must be reasons maybe Foden tries things that you don't want at certain times and that's why so Saka might well I mean having a player who's on a different plane guess, to every other teammate isn't always a good thing have some teammate that what sorry having a player that's on a different plane to every other teammate yeah. isn't isn't always a good thing I mean not if they're traveling well <laughs> I mean I think if the expectation is that uh you know if Foden's expectation of his teammates maybe is um is uh He's asking more of them than they might give him. You know, there's one way of looking at it, different perspective. Uh, yeah, it genuinely might be one of the things sure. that you want the cohesion in your team and you've got one guy who's operating, like he's, yeah. he's drinking the most expensive petrol. Yeah. Another one's just need normal. Sure. But they perform to a high level. Yeah. It's like little, uh, <laughs> oh no. It's like when you are choosing your loadout on Warzone. <laughs> 
and you can add certain attachments to your gun to make it play how you want, right? But all you need is the base weapons to be able to kill enough people. Yeah. But Foden's got everything unlocked and he yeah. can use it when he wants to. He doesn't sure. need that. He just needs the base weapons. He's gone over the prestige 10 times. That's the... Uh, Something like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm really sorry about all the wars. And can I ask you about Mason Mount? Because there was huh? a comment in the chat and I see this fairly regularly with Mason Mount. Um, someone saying... He's super overrated, I don't get it. I think the, the key there being, I don't get it, because a lot of what Mason Mount does, he's not always the easiest to spot. I mean, I can consider him a passenger in a game uh, because I don't understand how to watch it, what it is that he's doing. But you and Alex often talk about his off-the-ball work being very important. Um, can we expand on that without just saying he's diligent, which is what I normally do? Um, I think it's these kind of in, uh, intangibles, that word I want you can't really measure it he, he reads the game so well he always seems to be in the right place at the right time right. his first touch is incredible like, his, like technically he's one of the best players England have like by far right. uh, there's times you'll see in the Premier League Champions League I think in the finally had some first touch he, the ball drops out of the air and he just kills it while he's running at full speed so technically a great player so you want him there but uh, he has that uh, willingness to chase every single thing down that he needs to an understanding yeah. of when to go and when not to like it, it, it appears almost as though it's natural to him and it hasn't had to have been coached constantly into him. So that a manager can mould him and say, I want you to do this and he understands it straight away yeah. rather than have to go through drill after drill after drill to work out exactly when and where and how. Um, and he doesn't get huge numbers because a lot of the things he does are a couple of stages before the final action or the final shot, something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm trying to think of an example tonight. He'll often press, like you see, like for Italy, for example, Verratti pushes up high to win the ball. Uh, and you saw Denmark tonight, Hoiberg was pushing up high to do it. Uh, Mount does that for England. Doesn't always get the ball because people try and avoid him and try and get around. But as soon as he gets the ball, he knows what to do with it as well. His decision-making is excellent. It's just a really great footballer. Like he's, it's just his final sort of end product bit isn't quite there. I, I don't know if it's because he's not getting the right positions. This is something that... So I think Mount, for example, is a much better player than James Madison. I really like James Madison as well. Sure. Um, but Madison, who has talked about himself this season or last season saying that he knows he needs to up his numbers. That's what he needs to do to get to the next level. And uh, he doesn't produce enough assists or goals. His, his chance creation numbers are massive. He's one of the top, I think, in the Premier League. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm right in thinking that. A lot of that might be set pieces though. And Mount uh, tends to be quite high up those lists for chance created and uh, progressive passes, things like that. But he just does whatever is needed. He'll fill in for players. He can play anywhere across the front, anywhere in the midfield. Has a just a total understanding of the game. So he he just know when he's there. If you take him off, I think the problem is the reason I didn't want to take him off earlier. I would I'd have said it's because suddenly you're losing someone who can add to your attack and to your midfield and defend while he's attacking. Yeah. And you can just rely on him to be in the right place. He understands the game. It's like if you take him out, it's like you remove knowledge from the game. You lose a lot of the balance too, right? Because of that. I think so. It's, it's more, to me, it's more like that knowledge of what's going on in the game. It's like, you know, you see, before you put a sub on, you have to like download the game into their head. <laughs> Whereas Mount's got all the information there. So you take him out, suddenly you've got to swap that round and they can't, Yeah. you can't put a USB into Jordan Henderson. <laughs> oh, I wish you could, man. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Well, maybe you can. Would you have that, the Neuralink? Neuralink, I was thinking of another way to put the, I don't know, yeah, uh, I don't know how to, the Neuralink? Is yeah. that a thing? Well, I mean, that's what they call, that's what uh, Elon Musk calls it, like a Neuralink. Well, you put like a chip in your head. Yeah, basically. 
Um, He's always talking about how people's like stupid hands are the thing that slows all the information <laughs> down, and that's the next big thing to get past. Be well, true with footballers. Maybe if there's a point where you get half humans, half robots, so you could have uh, really bouncy legs. Yeah. Uh, or to to sprint. Imagine footballers; they could sprint even faster. Sure. And they're half robots. Then it becomes robot wars. Do you know, I have to say, I'm, meta, all, I'm like all up too. for, like, the doping league. <laughs> I'm, I'm well up for it. I reckon uh, let's, have a, let's have a separate one where you can do what you like. But they can run be, extra fast forever, all game long. be like a sort of uh, thing you'd see in a futuristic sci-fi film or something. Mm-hmm. I'm game for that. I mean, on that note, you saw how knackered Denmark were. Sure. Like, uh, had they been made of robotic parts, they'd been able to maybe see that out, but they were all just completely goosed by the Well, end. I wanted to ask you about that because they looked, uh, I mean, they were, as you said before, there were, there were moments in the game that they really controlled the ball well. They never looked hugely threatening, but you felt that they carried a threat, if, if that makes sense. But uh, after about 70 minutes, they just looked like exhausted. And I wondered if it was because they've been running a lot for the last, you know, three weeks. Like they've done an awful lot of pressing. Yeah. I mean, they've also had, I, I don't think the trauma they went through will have affected their running numbers, but no. I think they've probably had quite a tiring time emotionally. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long tournament um, for them specifically. Yeah, they've played they've played a lot of football. Uh, their squad isn't as deep as England's, for example. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, England haven't really, rota- I was thinking, I was talking about rotation the other day, but, Rice and Phillips have played like every game. Yeah. Max played every game apart from Maguire. Kane played every game. played like every minute of every Weirdly, game. Weirdly, Kane looked fitter tonight than he has done at any point in the tournament. Yeah. Like he had more energy. But then I think England's part of their strategy genuinely might be linked to fitness. I mean, it's all coordinated now. Your coaching sessions are linked to your fitness coaches, which are linked to what you want to achieve. Yeah. So you work out what your load you can give them and how you can well, implement Southgate it. did say that specifically, though, because he said, like, you know, uh, they've learnt from the semi-final in the World Cup in 2018 where the players were knackered. So, yeah. I mean, they're obviously, they're, they're, doing, they're focusing on it some, in some way. Well, that those makes, attacking players have been rotated. It makes total sense when you think about how they played against Scotland, how um, tame is not the word, it sounds a bit harsh tame, but how... You know, contr- controlled, we'll measured. say. Yeah, measured, composed. They were against Croatia and Czech Republic. No uh, danger at all. No really rushing in any moments in the, the games. My language has started to stop. Have you noticed that now? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. No many moments. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. Um, I thought it might have just been a thing you do. No, I think I'm just starting to shut down. But So, yeah, the way they're playing those games, controlling it, it's all part of the strategy of the like, the tactical system is as much the way they want to play and get their best players yeah. on the pitch as it is to control the workload of the players. They press at certain times. They don't press a lot. They, they press for the first 10, 15 minutes. They really go for teams. Yeah. And you'll notice in this game, they were all over Denmark the first 10, 15, and then it calms right down yeah. and they just start managing it. And there's Same a little thing, push right? into the, the first whole, half. There's the whole yeah. tournament. Every game has been like that. Yeah. This one felt a little different as the game went on, and that's what made me nervous about it because I think, I think what I've grown accustomed to is, as you say, the first... 10 minutes, maybe 15 in some games of the first half and the last five minutes of the first half being moments where England will dominate and look aggressive and be direct and attack and go quickly. Yeah. Something similar in the second half was slightly different, but that happened at the beginning of the game and then that sort of disappeared for the whole middle where it, it felt for this 10 minutes England were on top, the next 10 minutes Denmark looked like the stronger and the brighter team, the one more likely to create something. It was only really after that 70-minute mark where it didn't appear that Denmark were ever going to have a shot on goal again. Do you know, like, yeah. uh, having, having said that, even though they were 
extremely tired, or it appeared to be. They defended very, very well, like all the way to the end of the game. They defended with numbers, and they're yeah, they're clever footballers, and they're organised. The manager knows what he's doing. They think they are they're a good team, Denmark. They got to the semi final of the tournament, mm. uh, deservedly so. But that seventy minute thing um, times perfectly. It's not a coincidence. I don't think that that's when uh, Larson, Damsgaard, and Dolberg come off. Dolberg's movement up front really dangerous. He was getting shots on goal. It was wasn't quite striking them as clean as he wanted to. I think so. Pickford had a few easy picks off the floor from Dolberg shooting, but his movement was creating space for players like Brathwaite and yeah. Damsgaard in behind. Damsgaard scored the free kick, constant threat. You saw, uh, heard Lee Dixon talking about how um, he's glad he's going off because yeah. he was a thorn in the side. Yeah. All times, never say that apart from the football, do you? Thorn in the side. Sure. Uh, Larson's the guy who puts their free kicks in, but a lot of the strength of Denmark is that they are quite physical and they are uh, physically imposing. And then when you don't have the energy to do that quite as you want, suddenly you've got to be a bit more controlled with the way you play. You can't leave yeah. yourself open by pushing. So that's when you become a bit more measured and sit back a little bit. And that's probably why it looked like Denmark were sitting off them a bit because they were in, then, yeah. in turn waiting for England to make mistakes. If I said that to you, didn't I? It's like England are waiting, so their, their strategy is to wait for mistakes by opponents. But typified by Pickford being all jittery, it seemed like England were more likely to make the mistake until... Uh, until was about, that was about 60 minutes in. I think it was yeah. I think it was energy levels. It must be. I mean, what I would say, though, and maybe I'm a little bit biased, you'll have to tell me. Uh, yes, Denmark are a physical team, but England matched that physicality throughout the game. It didn't feel that there was any point where, other than at the corners where every Denmark player and supporter was on top of, you know, a Pickford uh, or like basically <laughs> on the goal line, and that... that Felt intimidating and threatening as a as a vision, but never came to anything. You know, didn't, didn't n- none of those corners really looked threatening at all, or, or were threatening at all. England were a match for that physicality. There, there, there were no moments where it felt like Denmark are the stronger team, Denmark are the quicker team, like Denmark of are, are winning this particular battle. Like England were head to head the whole time, and they were totally wise to when when you have to go into a battle with someone like Poulsen or I know Kier or something like that, like guys who can. That mess you up if they want. Yeah, uh, knowing when to suddenly let them have the advantage of the balance, so you go down to win a free kick. Yeah, really clever play. Um, and the thing with England, if you think about it, like however many years, like 30, 40 years, England produced very good footballers who are very athletic. Like they always have strong, fast players. They always mm-hmm. do. What they've done in the past, and Seb um, has often said this, is that what England have tended to do in the past is try and outpassion yeah. um, the opposition. What you get now is England using their athleticism and being smarter. Like, like it's one of the things Southgate's put in. He's made England nicer. Yeah. So, like, as a neutral, uh, I honestly am most of the time for like England. Uh, they're more they're more likable. I like the like I like the lads in the team. They're all yeah. lovely boys. Like Bukayo Osaka is like just a lovely guy. Sure. Phil Foden, good guy. All yeah. these guys, right? Harry Maguire. There we go. But they're all like think of Maguire, like big guy, um, smart was when he's going into these headers and what he's doing, you've got Kane is a big centre forward, you know, built like Lewandowski, mm-hmm. goes down very easily when he needs to, stays up when he can. Mm-hmm. Sterling, like so fast, but his core, like he, he is so strong, Sterling. He's running 100 miles an hour at 120 minutes his into the game. core you know? strength and balance is, amazing. like he's an, an incredible like, athlete. Yeah. Like it's so fast and uh, really clever. It yeah. goes down super easy in the box because his momentum almost takes him down, but sure. he's putting himself in that position. And that's it. It's that combination that I like with Southgate, what he's brought in is um, England. It's a stereotype of English footballers that, you know, they're all kind of like, Ooh, and they're maybe a bit sure. 
no, the smartest tool, uh, the smartest tools, the sharpest tools in the box. Come on now, yeah, the box of football, and uh, now they have adopted or have embraced the fact that they're actually quite clever. Sure. And they're allowed to be clever. They're like multifunction Swiss Army knives now. Yeah. Remember when like Graham Lasso was getting slagged off because he read the Times or something? Sure. Like that's gone now. It was the Guardian. I think the, well, the Guardian, there we yeah. go. All the play, all, like these players, I think, would know what's going on in the news now. Yeah. And you sort of see it in the way they play the game. It's just, it's just different. It's a more mature team. I love team. it. Yeah, I bet you do. It just, nice. it just feels like there's no, well, very, very limited toxicity. Yeah. Better wait till it goes wrong in the final. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, uh, we'll be back shortly after this break. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. And we're back. And uh, now we're going to look forward to Sunday's final. I can't really believe I'm saying that, JJ. Sunday's final, including England and Italy. This is a game, I don't know, I, I was talking to, uh, you know, erstwhile Stafford Bloor the other day, who said Italy strike him as the team that, this is after they'd qualified, by the way, they strike him as the team that everybody thinks will make it from the beginning, but the ones that never actually do, and it's always taken over by another team, which is slightly more cynical or, you know, a little bit more mature. But uh, England-Italy, it felt like it could have been the final from the first games that were played and it now is the final after all of those games have been played how do you step out of your tactical zone for a moment you're a human being tell me what you think um am i pleased i don't know i don't know yeah i don't know either you don't have to be nice pleased i didn't mean are you pleased i just mean like, i know but i'm trying to work out i'm just genuinely talking out loud i'm trying to feel the 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 the, the gravity and i can't well, really. like, I'm, I, I'm in shock a little bit we're sort of in this bubble, been in this office all the time watching yeah. the game. So like uh, walking here from the station earlier and then um, seeing those of England fans going about with their England shirts on. Yeah. Started for the first time to feel a bit of the buzz about it. But then you come in here and then nobody here seems to really care. Until I the really games. suck um, the buzz out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> like I was well hyped for the Scotland ones, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they're the two best teams. I really like watching Italy. I still think... So at that point on how Italy are the kind of ones you'd think would be there but then get outdone earlier, yeah. that has to happen before the final, Yeah, I think. Mm -hmm. Now they're in the final, I think they're very much, uh, I think they'll be very wise to what they're doing. Yeah, Home advantage must be a thing. In, in Wembley, imagine like how excited everyone's going to be. And I mean, England still haven't conceded a goal from open play. But this is the thing, like the, the hurdle, right, for England for years has been getting past the semi-final. That's been yeah. the hurdle. Yeah. And they've done that. And now it's a whole other thing they've got to think about, which nobody yeah. knows how to do. Yeah. This is the thing. I mean, they've got... Now, now it's just about which team can relax the best, play their game and remember their instructions and not let the occasion get to them too much, right? Yeah, it'll be so tactical. I think... I couldn't do it. I honestly couldn't do it. Like <laughs> I, I would lose my head immediately. Or playing. The, the, 
that I would be, before the first thing went wrong, I'd be thinking something's going to go wrong, something's going to go wrong. And then it would inevitably go wrong because I would manifest that through my ne- negative, pessimistic outlook. Yeah. And then when it had gone wrong, I'd go, my God, it's gone wrong, it's gone wrong. I've got to make it back now. I've got to make it back to, to, to neutral, to zero, to, to the middle ground so that I can, you know, kick on. Yeah. And then I'd start running around and fouling. I'd probably get a red card, you know. I'd watch that. Yeah, thanks. Well, you know, yeah. it would be entertaining for everyone other than me. Hey. But massive respect to the players that are going to go and play in that game because uh, I can't really imagine nerves like it. I think the huge advantage England have is being at Wembley. That's massive with fans. The other ma- Does that not add to the pressure though? Like, I don't know. To I, lose I, in front of their own fans? I think they feel this is the thing that was kind of levelled at Scotland actually was saying that when they played at Hamden, there's pressure of the fans. You have to play on the front foot and yeah. control the game. It doesn't suit the way that you play under Steve Clark. Whereas you uh, don't get that from England fans in this tournament. No, I think it's just, uh, it seems more like a joy in less... I mean, in the past, it's just been pure arrogance and sure. big-headedness. And it's really funny when they fall over. It's really yeah. funny. But now there's a little bit of change to how that has worked. It's mostly people in the media. I think other other media, we are media as well, obviously. Yeah. I find the way that's talked about sometimes makes it seem like that's what all England fans do. Not all of them do. And I've realised through some of your words, Joe, that actually a lot of England fans are just kind of like, we think we're going to lose every game and it's nice when sure. you don't. That's sure. quite refreshing. I've got friends that have been out watching England tonight. So mm, Beneath the crust, you know? That's where we live, beneath the crust. Beneath the crust. Yeah, the crust being everything you think. Mm. And then the massive uh, uh, underbelly, <laughs> soft and spongy and worried, you know? The underbelly of the crust. Yeah. Yes. There's no chain mail in the underbelly. Um, I'm, yeah. Uh, Italy, I'm struggling to deal with all the uh, the, the and ifs. Uh, the, the thing I was thinking all day is if Seb was here, what he'd say is at some point he'd managed to say the referee wants to make it all about himself and uh, <laughs> all referees are, are scumbags. I'm pretty sure that is a Seb's general take on things. I thought the ref fell for an awful lot of things tonight. Um, need a strong ref in the final because both teams will be at it. It'll be the the, the German guy, uh, Breich. I like it? him, he's good. He's he doesn't, great, man. He Felix. doesn't stand for nonsense. When Felix Breich. And he looks fantastic in that pink shirt. It's really exciting that the game's in London. Oh, that's what I was going to say before I lost what mm, I was thinking about. Mm. Italy versus Spain was like, like such a magic game to watch. It sounded exhausting. Like it looked exhausting, I should say. Yeah. Um, Bonucci came out afterwards and says it's the hardest game he's ever played. Ever? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It might just be hyperbole because he's just out of the, sure. the game and he's knackered. Like that was difficult. But um, yeah, that could be a thing because they ran a lot and their game is based on a lot of running. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be really fit. Even Barella came off and he's. Uh, like built of energy. Yeah. That's where he came from, the sun. I mean, I suppose uh, uh, with their watching uh, from their hotel rooms or whatever, they'll be rather pleased that England also went to extra time tonight. With the, I mean, because otherwise it was they, England had one few, uh, less day of rest. Yeah. And, uh, but then I don't, I don't think like, the players who needed probably need the rest, like Rice came off obviously at 90, he's played every, almost every minute. Yeah. Um, some of those players will need a rest and they'll have the recovery time. But like we said, they've managed the workload all through the tournament and they've not played a team who's uh, like bust them from box to box yeah. every single time. Whereas Italy versus Spain was relentless. Both teams had to press relentlessly or they'd end up, their system didn't work. And that's all that they were built on. Can I ask you a question about system? Yes. Do you think there's a chance England will go to a three? Uh, yeah, I do. Because they're really good yeah. in Italy. I think the, the things you're going to look at with Italy are that um, they play a high line 
and you've got Raheem Sterling. Yeah. And I genuinely think that'll be most of the game plan is that. And Saka, maybe. Maybe Saka. I think Foden was so good tonight, you might even put Foden on. Yeah. Just for that little cameo he had. Uh, just a chance to make something happen. Maybe play Sterling. Well, it depends what he does, what Mancini does. Who replaces Spinazzola? It has to be Emerson, really. Yeah. That changes the way they play. And he's not quite sure when to go where. So you're going to get certain moments in transition where Emerson's not going to be in exactly the right position. I mean, they're going to be drilled to high heaven in training this week to make sure that he knows that and it's all like codified and it's built into him. He's downloaded it, basically. Sure. Uh, That's what he needs to have done. He's copying it over from the hard drive. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Deep down in the master, what do you call it? The mainframe. The the mainframe. The motherboard. The motherboard, yeah. The motherboard. So that's something, but I think you'll target that. And I think Sterling would be the one you'd want to be on against it. Yeah. Because I think he'd be On the, the right-hand side? I think so, yeah. Maybe. So would you play Foden on the left or yeah. Grealish maybe? I'd put, I'd want I'd want Foden. I think he's just going to do more than Grealish. But Grealish will win fouls, which will be useful. It's, it's the kind of thing. It'll be, you have to think of this way. Mm. These clever players, I think Sterling is going to be their main threat. And the one they want. They're going to have pace. Jaden Sancho might be really good in this game. Wouldn't you right. still worry about Saka though? Like, I mean, if there is space in behind Emerson, if there's some confusion about when and where to go, like... Saka's direct running to today. I mean, let's not forget he was the he was the one to make that breakthrough run for the yeah. f- for the first goal. I feel like I feel like that might I feel like he's going to play. You might do. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, Saka's Saka doesn't get the numbers for me. I don't know. There's yeah. I think Saka's like he's 19 as well. It's crazy. Like it's crazy how good it he is, is at 19. Because yeah. you just forget how old he is when you look at him. It does, does, doesn't. Oh, I don't, man. I think he's. I think he looks younger than. He's got 19. a young face for sure. But yeah, but way- it's when you get the close up of him. Now, obviously, yeah. when you see him, you know, running down the side of the pitch from the from the wide broadcasting angle, you don't notice any difference. But when you get the close up, I think he looks like a, he could be 14. If 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 he told me he was 14, I'd be a bit surprised, but not. I would believe it. Yeah, I I, I just mean the way he like conducts himself on the pitch, like specifically on oh, the yeah. pitch, not out of it. Yeah. Decision making is very good. Uh, yeah, fast, good, uh, great touch. He was Again. in that great England TikTok video, you know, yes. where he falls off his little, little, little inflatable thing, and then uh, oh, yes, I remember that one. Yeah, that was very fun, wasn't it? You liked that one, didn't you? Anyway, should we do points of bad? Yeah, because we forgot to do. Oh it, no, so we didn't. Well, we didn't forget, but I think we're out of time. I've got. <laughs> we've got one more game left after this one. Uh, I've got. I haven't added them up yet, so I'm going to do it as we go. So uh, for today's game. The points currently doesn't matter. We're, we're no one's passing anybody. JJ, you said nil nil. England, uh, Denmark uh, win on penalties. It didn't go to penalties, sadly. So you get a minus point for that. A England po- sorry, did technically win it on a penalty, so maybe I should get well, maybe a you know, bonus. That 10 would be a little points. bit of rule bending. Yeah, okay. There's a plus for not going to penalties, and also, of course, there were three goals within the game. So you've added four today, uh, uh, which means that you uh, until I do Seb score or even with Seb on 113. You won't be in a moment. Uh, Alex, of course, uh, said 1-0 England, so he's adding two points because he's a coward. I said 3-0 England, uh, so I'm adding two points also to put me on 130. And Seb said 2-0 England, so he's just adding the one point there to be on 114. Now, you do have to worry about the final because there's only one point in it with you and Seb. You could finish third, JJ. And of course, all eyes are on Alex Stewart now, who's finishing today on 98 points. Will he get the centenary? Will he stay underneath? It's hard to say. We need him to gain three or more points, or two or more, I suppose, to keep it at 100 from the final. Uh, And so I expect that when he does finally send through, 
is a prediction, it will uh, be extremely cowardly as usual. Is there a rule where you can't do the same prediction as someone else? No, we didn't. We didn't make that rule. We that did that. In, one, we did that in the World Cup in in twenty eighteen because yeah. there was only three of us playing, and it was it it was quite fun actually. Yeah. Maybe we should introduce that when we do this again. Okay. Into Pab. Yeah. But um, I will be asking you now for your prediction for the final. Yeah. I think I know what it is. Is it because I've been telling you for about three weeks now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just to double check, England's fantastic performance this evening hasn't changed your mind about that. Nope. And I'm very pleased for England and all the England fans that they've reached the final. It's a great achievement and uh, it makes it all the worse if they're going to win 2-1. Okay, it's the 2-1. Yep. I think I think we're going to win on penalties and it'll be 1-1. Um, genuinely, I would love that. It would be really, really cool. I think that's going to happen. It'd be fun. 1-1, win on penalties. No, I'm into that, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I wonder if we... Uh, it, oh, Seb Stafford-Blora sent a voice message. Yeah, that was great having a final to prepare for because usually at this point of an international tournament we sort of lose interest quarterfinal semi-final England out but now you get sort of three days four days where you just get to think oh final on Sunday final on Sunday final on Sunday final tomorrow that's just very cool don't really get much of that with Tottenham obviously so this is kind of cool God he sounds tired doesn't he yeah it's, it's, the gulag's it's really, really cool. taken out of him <laughs> where was he today Oh, he's got his parachuting oh, in from the gulag. Oh, he's here. He's here. Sorry, I forgot he was here. I forgot he was here. Anyway, that's Seb. We've heard a little bit of Seb there. So that's nice. Seb will be back, by the way, for uh, the final on Sunday, which we're looking forward to, and that's going to be nice. But uh, for the time being, JJ Ball the Bullard, thank you. Thank you, George Devine. It's been a fantastic day. It has. I'm genuinely quite excited for England. I'm not looking forward to having to watch it on TV for the next 80 years every no. couple hours, but yeah. Sure. Good. That bit of it isn't going to be quite as much fun, is it? But otherwise, Please. I've had a nice time. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy for you. It's good. Uh, thanks, as usual, to our crack production team of Don and Sol there. And there's uh, there's Sol's hand. That's a lovely hand, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that, isn't that a lovely hand? We'll be back on Sunday with Seth Safferblore and JJ Bull. Until then... Au revoir, bienvenue, tschüss, ciao, other things, goodbye, farewell, and do take care of yourselves, people. Mm-hmm.